podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I'm Boyd Hilton. Psychic Josh Landy, who's usually in his Soho style office, is is this week. It looks like you're in front of some um, wooden drawers, (laughs) frankly, in some kind of special hideout. Is that where you are? I'm in an Airbnb in Tel Aviv. I think you might be building it up more than it is. I think these are drawers that I can open. Yeah, there you go. Um, But look, we we had to make it happen. We always get to get together and uh, I'm so, so pleased we have. And you've got the greatest uh, guest that we could have got. Yeah, I think so popular that he had his celebrity spotting this weekend. He can probably tell us more about it. Yeah, I think it's your first um, podcast of the season, isn't it, Alan? Is that right, Alan? Or did we know he did a special one with Dec- about Declan Rice, didn't he? When he when he signed, yeah. But this is your first regular pod, Alan Algo. Welcome. Great to be with you guys. Yes, it is my first one of the season. Yeah, uh, we 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 put together the Declan one early, earlier on, mm. didn't we? And yeah. we, uh, um, yeah. Been... You were saying you got spotted at the weekend. What happened? <laughs> well, I went to a wedding of a, an ex-colleague of mine, and uh, I sat down at the table as we were about to have the uh, the wedding breakfast, as they call it. And a guy sat opposite me. He he said, "I, I specifically asked to sit opposite you. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Footballistically Arsenal podcast." And then just ask questions about you guys, you know, what, what you two are like, uh, you know, how we all met and loads of different questions. And he was mentioning things from episodes that even I've, I've forgotten. So wow. he, he's, a, he's a massive fan. Uh, so shout out to Rob. Um, it got so much at one stage that his wife, who was sat next to me, said uh, when he saw the table plan, I thought we were actually ending up sitting next to some kind of celebrity because he just goes on about you and the guys all the time. Um, I suppose, I suppose this is around the fact that he says he always agrees with me and what I say. Ah. So, um, you know, most of the time I meet people that listen to the podcast, they don't say that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a hero. What's his name again? Rob. Rob. Hi, Rob. A couple of people, funnily enough, a couple of people came up to me. I, I was at this Royal Television Society um, annual convention in Cambridge last week. And I, I actually missed the European game because of that. Um, I, I watched it during my dinner. They had this posh dinner in King's College, Cambridge. Literally with, like, you know, these spectacular wooden, huge wooden benches with, like, silver service waiters and this, that, and the other. And I, and I did have my phone out to watch the uh, TNT sport coverage of the football during the game. So, um, but a few people, two or three people came up to me at that event and from the TV industry saying they listened to this podcast and were very, were fans of the show. So that was, that's heartwarming as well. Now, go on, Josh, are we going to say something? No, I was just, oh, okay. I feel, I feel left out. I feel left out, frankly. <laughs> yeah. My, um, I'm going to, I'm going to start with Alan because the funny, the point that Alan makes about, um, people agreeing with him, I noticed Alan that after the Spurs game, you uh, tweeted your opinion, a controversial opinion about Martin Odegaard, which you then retracted and deleted after a couple of people had picked you up on it. What happened? Do you know what? I, I 
I stand by everything I said in the tweet. It's just that I couldn't be bothered to go into <laughs> of course. the the silliness. Um, one of the ones I really hate as someone that doesn't drink is someone saying, oh, you've had a beer because um, I, I very rarely drink and I hate that accusation because mm. um, it's not a fun subject. Um, then two people I really sort of respect um, – both called Sophie, Sophia, um, two big fans of the of the pod and big Arsenal fans. They said delete, and I, I looked at my mentions and I thought to myself, I cannot be bothered to be answering this all into a Sunday night. But um, look, it was factual. I, I think. Well, well, the, my end line was was completely factual. Martin Odegaard is fifteen Premier League games without an assist. Um, I have mentioned plenty of times that in Real midfield battles, I don't think he's the kind of person you need leading the line. Um, he has gone missing in a number of those games down down the years um, since he's been here. And I just don't think he's the kind of roll your sleeves up captain that maybe I've been spoiled with with, with the likes of Tony Adams and Patrick Vieira. And, and it, it was all the more galling that I think... I understand the club have got to put out content. I understand that the social media channels exist for for certain departments in the club to put out content. But I also thought what should have been a sort of routine contract announcement um, was was played well over the top in a really important week. And it, it almost set us up for a fall. And as much as I love Clive, who's been on the podcast and he did a great interview I would I would have left it at that I think you know 10 15 tweets and posts about Martin Odegaard uh re-signing with us which I think is good by the way I'm not saying he's a bad player mm, um, good if you if you put well of course not he's, he's no, no. definitely not a bad player no. not a bad player at all you know he's a, he's a fantastic player he's one of the most skillful players we've ever had but I, I think you know Criticism where criticism is due, credit where credit is due. And I think criticism can be levelled at him for, for going missing in, in in those types of games. And if you want to put it on relative terms, you know, if 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 Martin Odegaard re-signing is worth videos before the game and 15 tweets, goodness me, you know, Tony Adams re-signing his deals back in the 80s and 90s would have had to, uh, on equivalent terms, would have had to be a, a, a public holiday in Islington, surely. <laughs> Is your issue, by the way, of course, it's funny because um, in, in our WhatsApp, in my WhatsApp group with our little gang that, that goes to matches, um, Dan Baldwin famously um, was was uh, not the biggest fan of Martin Odegaard and had similar complaints about him as you. And, and, and we take the piss out of him for that, like on a weekly basis, because most people consider him to be one of our best players. Is your issue that he's captain? Um, you don't think he's think captain so, yeah. material? Yeah, yeah okay. and that's, and that's Who what I said captain? To, who would be captain instead for you? Well, look, I think I think Declan Rice should slot in to being captain, and I don't think that should be taken as a ne- negative for Odegaard. What I think it would do is free him up to concentrate on the things that he's good at, and he is mm. good at lots of things. You know, I'm insisting here. This isn't a criticism of his overall contribution, but it's a criticism of one aspect of his play, which I think can hinder us at times and that is his ability to get stuck in he did pick up and and, and this this is the main reason i deleted the tweets i think there was one 
reply that I got that actually hit the nail on the head. He picked up a very early yellow card yesterday, um, and that was bizarre. I know we find new ways yeah, to, yeah. to be wronged by referees, yeah. but I know the rule is if you go to the referee and ask for um, a player of, uh, of the opposition to be booked, um, you then receive a yellow card. That's That's been set in stone for this season, and... Um, you know, we've seen it happen plenty of times this season because of this new directive. But actually, the yellow card was already out when Odegaard approached the ref. And I think what he was saying, you know, it's hard to tell from your seat a, a hundred yards away. But I think what he was saying was that was sort of the second or third foul that Tottenham had committed in exactly that situation. And, and they must have been due a card. And... Yeah, by the letter of this new directive, I guess that mm. he did deserve a card, but the card was already out, ready to book the, the Tottenham player. And he, he picked up a yellow. It obviously then limited his his uh, tackling throughout the game, but I still feel he was shoved off the ball too easy in lots of situations. He was walking quite a few times when Tottenham were attacking. And he then turned around to the crowd on about 80 minutes and said, you know, come on, lift in the crowd. Now, I love all that, yeah. and I think he's great, and especially when he goes around the pitch at the end of games. But I, as I say, he's not... I don't think he's immune to criticism, and that that's one area sure. that we need to criticise him in. And he was, wasn't the only one yesterday. There sure. was just a, an all-round lack of controlled effort. And I don't mean the yeah. kind of effort that means smashing people into rosette. That, that's called for sometimes. But just that, just that switched-on effort that you need in a game like that. And um, it's the kind of thing that gets you over the line usually against Tottenham because they do crumble and they didn't yesterday. Mm. Yeah, he did, I, didn't, I agree that he didn't have his best game. Let's let's talk about the, the game in general, Josh. You, you were watching it presumably on TV from... from uh, who was, who was you, who, What pundits did you have? No, we did manage to watch the, uh, the Sky coverage um, uh, okay. actually from here. I watched it with uh, one of my very best friends who is a... A Tottenham fan, and we have, oh. of course, never ever watched a North London derby um, together. So that was a bit of an experience uh, in itself. Um, look, I, it, yeah, but by the by the time the game was sort of drifting in that first 15, 20 minutes, you, you couldn't. We you, fifteen twenty minutes left, so you could not argue that a draw was, I think, as much as we deserve from the game. I, I think Tottenham have have improved at an incredible level actually if you look back to how how disappointing a season they had actually you have to stand and respect that if you'd have told them back in may how they would be doing come the end of september i think they'd have been amazed and in disbelief and uh they were better than what i thought they might be if uh if i'm completely honest um but it's a day at the emirates where if we're claiming that we're in a title race, it feels like a big disappointment, doesn't it? Because here was a, a rival for at, at, at least the top four who we didn't create enough across the whole game against. I know we had opportunities and people talk about that first half an hour, but as a 90 minutes, I don't think we did enough. And by the last 30, 40 minutes of the game, as soon as we'd scored our penalty, you were thinking... There isn't loads to come off this bench. I know we've got injuries, mm. but then we looked like we were blowing for the end. And you kind of thought, "Oh yeah, they were knackered." A draw, a draw here. You know, if if one team were going to go and get a winner, I felt like it was Spurs. So, yeah, I think we, I think we got what we deserved um, yeah. on the day. 
and feel, uh, yeah. it's another game this season where you know we've we've played in a in a incredibly high level for half an hour but we we couldn't see it through and it was one of those days and we've had those days at the emirates in recent mm. years where we have got a couple of goals when we've been playing brilliantly and managed to kill off games but we just couldn't we couldn't keep up what we were doing and uh, we paid the price i think um i've seen so much um discourse about this game i think even even by i mean it's, of course it's 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 the north london derby we're playing tottenham and but i've seen a lot of different analysis alan you know ranging from today i saw people talking about is the problem not creating enough chances or is the problem converting the chances they talked a match of the day last night ian wright was looking at they had stats about shot convert converting shots to goals that was pretty poor um those stats but then i saw someone else saying it's not about that and we you know there's a whole discussion about do we need a striker you know because of uh jesus not scoring that stages had jesus robbed the ball didn't he in that key moment yesterday in the game um brilliantly and then shot wildly over the bar and i and i do think that was an absolute key moment because if that had been gone in and been two nil that would have been it i think i think we would have won that game um, but what do you think about that discussion? And I, I just slightly agree that I think Eddie proved again. I, th- I know I'm, I'm thinking back to about your your views on Eddie, but I, I I'm pretty I don't know I'm, I'm pretty cynical about. I don't think he added that much to the game yesterday, um, and I worry that if he, he's not a natural goal scorer, and if he's not a natural goal scorer, then I'm not sure he provides that much. Gab- J- Jesus provides a huge amount. He's an incredible presence, but equally, he's not a natural finisher either. I think maybe, and, and you know, do you think we do need to get go out and get a striker? Or do you think the fact that we scored loads of goals last season and managed to maintain our title challenge with those players, we didn't have an out-and-out brilliant goal-scoring striker last season either? We didn't, but we score goals from all over the pitch and I, I, I did a little bit of analysis for the for the Guna uh, towards the end of the season and it was uh, over 33% of our goals had come from the more defensive positions in in our team so if you if you counted Jacker as one of those in in the central defensive midfield when uh, when obviously the left back was 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 moving forward those five players including the back four and and Jacker were responsible for over 33% of our goals and, um, you know, quite a few assists from from them as well. Xhaka uh, and and White being uh, the notable two uh, among those five that were actually providing the assists. So um, the, the fact that we were converting from all over didn't put uh, much emphasis on the attackers last year. And obviously we went a whole long period without Jesus leading the line. The thing is with Eddie, and I've said it many, many times, but he's very hard to it's very hard to pinpoint exactly why he shouldn't be playing for us. And I always boil it down to a to a, re- a really simple thing, and that's that if he was available for for ten, fifteen million in the championship, and you'd scouted him, would we buy him? And and the answer has to be no. He's he's a homegrown. Arsenal homegrown youngster and he's been given a chance and a chance that he definitely deserves and many many times his his play without scoring I think has been one of the best aspects of his game I I, I think his his effort his desire and 
his application on the ball and his technique has been really, really good. And when he's added goals to that, that's that's been brilliant. And and he's had little runs where he has. His problem is he's very streaky. And once teams work him out, he goes on long streaks of not scoring. And you could throw that back at, you know, someone like Olivier Giroud. He, he always suffered with that. So, you know, Jesus, as, as the, the more senior and certainly the one with more experience, should be taking up the slack there. And it shouldn't really all be on Eddie. And someone said yesterday, and I really agreed with it, any other big six team, whether it's a big seven now with Newcastle, would they have Eddie as, as the second choice if you needed a goal mm. in a game? And I have to say no. Third choice, if you played two up front or had two good strikers and a, and a, and a great finisher, yes. Third choice all day. Carling, uh, Carabao Cup games, League Cup games, FA Cup games. The fact that he's he's grown up around the club, the fact that he tries his heart out, the fact that he has got good technique, um, you know, when, when not finishing. I think all of that, yes. But but no, if you're going to rely on him. And that always has to be the point if you're playing at the higher stakes that we do as a, as a team. Yeah. Yeah, I, Josh, I agree. And I think also the other the other thing, as well as the idea, you know, would we buy him from a from a uh, championship side or whatever, is he, he'd get nowhere near Man City team, would he? He just would not, he wouldn't even consider him. I don't think he'd get that near a Liverpool team either. And I just think, and yesterday, his main contribution, I, mean, I don't want to be too harsh, I'm going to sound harsh, was that horrendous tackle on the Spurs goalkeeper that he easily could have been sent off for. Um, totally mistimed that. It was a and red all day. It was, it was a, red a red all day. All day. And, and all day yeah. Josh? Yeah, it, it, it definitely felt one of those decisions that had it been given as red, there was not a chance it would have been overturned for, for yellow. And I think it was on the absolute cusp of fortune to not have the referee go over to to potentially turn it into a red. So, um, yeah, incredibly fortunate. Look, I mean, this argument with Eddie, I think, would always persist. Um, but I think he, he he has done enough to warrant his place in the squad. And the club took a decision on, on Eddie up against Balogun. And cynics will say it's because Balogun had, had a really good season in France. And if you've got a French team interested, as it so proved in, in Monaco who you can sell to and capitalise on the good season he had, then maybe that plays into the thinking of actually which one stayed at the club, um, you know, who was able to bring in a, a bigger transfer fee. But, you know, his his statistics, if we look at pure goals, you know, are, are backable for, a, for a, place, a place in the squad. But we, we have days yesterday where... Um, you you feel a sense of frustration and you you think about what a world-class striker would have done in certain positions and when balls come across the box, where is that intuition to meet them? Um, but I don't think we should criticise because he's, you know, we didn't sign him from another Premier League club where he'd been banging in 20, 25 goals a year and got ourselves mm. into the into this situation. You know, he has, he has contributed the occasional goal. Even this season, he's got, what, two? two in the league so far, hmm. you know, which we've got one in three. If he ends the season with, and but for Trossard's injury, it seems unlikely he'd have started the game yesterday. So, 
You know, yeah. I think there was only so, only so much criticism we can throw at him. The 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 issue that you look at and and think about, of course, we just mentioned those two injuries. Thomas Partey's injury has perhaps gone slightly under the under the radar until Declan Rice had to come off the pitch, and then not because yeah. Jorginho made an error that led to a goal, but then suddenly the value that you got from the two of them, and maybe Partey's been overshadowed by someone being bought for 105 million in Declan Rice. But Partey, of course, has been up and down on his form, and maybe with good reason for what's gone on off the pitch. But it was it was incredibly noticeable how easy Tottenham found to start playing through the pitch in, in that second half. And the comments after the game were semi-encouraging, I guess, about, about Declan. It didn't feel like this is necessarily going to be mm. too long a term, but he got some sort of back problem. But yeah, I think I think we've learned yeah. a lesson there that without both of them on the pitch, we we're gonna have a problem. Yeah, there was a weird comment by um Arteta in the press conference about Declan Rice, wasn't there? Yeah, I watched he, it. He okay. referred to it. He referred to it as strange, yes. and I think that comes back to the point, um, you know, that that many people will make about that his his fitness is, was so unbelievably good at West Ham. He was so rarely um, injured, and yeah, Arteta's comment was like, "Well, if you were being unkind, you could suggest he was inferring it didn't seem the kind of problem that." everyone might have come off with. You could mm. infer it like that. Mm. But I think, um, you know... He seemed surprised. To... He seemed surprised that Declan... He, yeah. said, he said Declan himself wanted to come off. He said he wasn't fit enough for the second half. And he was, seemed surprised about that, which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it did. It was a slightly unusual comment. But I think what he could, you know, arguably also mean by that is is to say... You know, Declan is a player who is incredibly rarely not on yeah. not on the pitch. For him to say that he's got to come off means we know, you know, it's a situation where he felt felt he couldn't carry on. And maybe there is additional pressure when, you know, Thomas Party is is also out. Um yeah. Yeah. but here here's hoping that uh, it's not too serious. I, I, I don't want to um I again I'm gonna sound very critical and harsh, um, Alan, but for me, like all, among all the chatter, you know, about this game and all the kind of people, people, some people getting a bit carried away, I think of, I mean, I've been quite, quite I, I'm, I, I'm quite critical of Arteta. I didn't think his decision, made. I didn't think the team selection and the subs were dodgy. But having said all that, and, you know, can talk about the lack of a goal scorer, etc. Having said all that, really, doesn't this game come down to two crucial moments, which was Jesus failing to convert that chance he created for himself. And Jorginho, that unbelievable fuck up from him in the, early in the second half, um, from which they scored, of course. And I know it, it, Jorginho, great. You know, I mean, what's what's I, what's weird about that is that you almost bring in Jorginho. I mean, I mean obviously he came on because Declan Declan Rice was injured, but you bring him on when to calm things down, you know, and to kind of you know get him passing the spreading the ball around and being you know that technical player who can can do you know keep everything on on an even keel but he just what was that unbelievable fuck up and for me those two it hadn't been for those two moments you know either either Jesus has scored his chance or Jorginho doesn't fuck that up and let and give the ball away like that then again we probably go on and win the game yeah I think so Uh, I think more the Jesus one because I think that that at 2-0 
just puts them so under the gun that, that they have often crumbled at our place once uh, once we've got two goals. But, um, I mean, it relates to to Josh's point on Declan Rice because Jorginho's not on the pitch if, if Rice doesn't go off with, with, with that injury. And I, I can't really get on board with Jorginho at all. I, I, I know he's won everything in the game, but he's often, when he plays for Italy or has played for Italy and, and, and won trophies with Italy, they play a, a totally different game and I, I get his value to them. I don't really get his value to a team that are quite often going to be favourites in, in Premier League matches. Um, yesterday, he had everything in front of him when when that ball came to him. He had passes to the side, passes in front. Um, he could have held on to the ball. He wasn't under that much pressure, but he gets it under his feet because he's trying to turn and go backwards. And that that was the error. And he he does that so much. His, his first inclination is to go backwards, which, as I say, it suits in uh, international football when you're playing for Italy and you've got, you know, slow build-up play and, and defenders that are used to, um, you know, being incredibly deep and, and, and building from the back. I think, you know, the two centre-backs were almost surprised that they got into that situation. If you watch the clip again, when Tottenham start running and 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 eventually win the ball. The the two centre backs are so surprised that we've lost the ball in that situation. It actually leads to to Son being unmarked as 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 the the ball goes through to him because we just don't expect that someone's going to do something like that. And whether it be lack of concentration or just this desire to just turn on the ball and go backwards, that's why he's tripped. That's why he stumbled, and that's why we've lost the ball, and that's why he scored. And I I don't like him as an option other than the, than if we're absolutely cruising in a game and trying to kill it. And um, I, I'm I'm not a fan of his. I'm really not. Interesting, interesting. Um, we'll talk more about the game. I want to I want to mention a thing about Saka and um, Arteta as well. And look and mention that of course the European game and look ahead to um, our, our match on Saturday as well after this break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back from the break. I, I mentioned um, the thing, interesting day for Arteta, I thought, Josh, because I'm going to preface this by, as I do every week, by saying full, full, you know, love him. He's achieved an incredible amount. He's moved us on to a new level, blah, blah, blah. I think that's all true. But I do think there are times when he does stuff that's a bit mystifying. And I think he likes to be, and the whole thing, the whole goalkeeper situation uh, we, we need to touch on, you know, Raya made one amazing save, um, which, which Ramsdale brilliantly um, acclaimed. And, and uh, of course, Jamie Carragher made slight fun of him by saying it was like an Oscar winner, Oscar loser, <laughs> congratulating the winner, which I thought was quite clever. But anyway, uh, but, but, but my point is, I think the whole goalkeeper situation seems 
reflective of Arteta's desire to be seen as a maverick, particularly his comments that we talked about last week about wanting to make substitute the goalkeeper in some games in the middle of the game, which would be the act of a maverick. I also think that um, yesterday, towards the end of the game, about t- about the 80th minute, around that time, um, Saka clearly got injured and was like hobbling around, practically on one leg. I mean, he had one shot soon after that, which he nearly scored, despite only being on one leg. And instead of taking him off, Arteta took um, Jesus off and let and left him on practically until the last couple of minutes when eventually he came off for Emil Smith-Rowe came on. But he was clearly like, we're down to 10 men. And I was like, for all Arteta's supposed, you know, adherence to detail and, you know, and always talking about those key moments, those little moments, those little actions, you know, that define a game. That for me was extraordinary that that he didn't make that substitution earlier. What did you notice that? What did you make of it? Am I going mad? You might be going mad, but I don't think you're going <laughs> mad in, in relation to to this point. Yeah, he seemed absolutely uh, desperate, didn't he, to uh, to try and give um, Saka as much time on the on the pitch as. As possible, uh, 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 and look, I think part of that is again back to the injuries. If he had other options on the bench in a way of a Trossard or you know Martinelli, um, he had Emil Smith Rowe, who came on yeah, for five but, minutes. Okay, and was great. Sure. Do you know how many minutes Smith Rowe has had this season? I know. I that know, was his first. I know. That was his first. For whatever reason, it, I, I don't think he. I just don't think he was uh, desperate to to throw on. You know to throw on Emil Smith-Rowe so and, you know, presumably Saka is not going to be involved in the, in the Carabao Cup and maybe he was just thinking I can sort of, you know, run him into, you know, into empty today and, and you know, give him a whole week to to recover ready for the next game where where we actually need him. So, yeah, it was it, it was a bit of a surprise. Um, you touched on there the goalkeeping situation and I, I know we've alluded to this on the podcast before, but that, that has proved right that, you know, the only way to persuade Deva Ray was presumably going to be that he was going to be told for number one football. I saw Ramsdale dad bit back at Carragher. Did you see yeah, this? Yeah, I did, yeah. And I can understand it. It feels a bit unkind. Um, I guess it takes, you you either take a position that Ramsdale was going overboard because he wanted to be seen to be going overboard I don't know that I would. I just, I just don't know, um, and I think none of us really know. And it's unkind to suggest that you know that that he was doing that to be seen, because also at the end of the game, I was uh, listening back just to a bit of the the five live coverage, and they made a real point of of saying that it was Ramsdale who was going around the lads at the end of a game, went to give Kai Havertz a big hug, and you know w- was mm. trying to do his bit for the team. Um, even when he's obviously not playing. And look, Ramsdale will be back in the side for the midweek game in, in the Carabao Cup. It's still part of this team, still part of this squad. Um, well, Ray is not, Ray is not, it must um, be... he can't play in the in the Carabao, can he? I believe. Well, I, yes. I, I heard, I, I, I don't heard someone know, say this. I don't know. No, I heard someone say this and I don't, I don't, I don't think that's true. Oh, okay. I mean, um, I don't think that that rule applies. I mean, I, I think Ramsdale will play anyway. And yeah, I think yeah, that's, yeah. that's by the by. Um, this this is all on Arteta, really. It's it's really a, it's it's so disappointing because 
Carragher doesn't get the chance to make that comment yesterday, albeit you know he's joking, you know he's got mm. his colleagues around him, that they were all laughing. I, I don't think he made that comment seriously. I think they were maybe thinking about it during the coverage and they've said it. And it hasn't landed well, certainly not with Ramsdale's dad. And if I was his dad, it wouldn't land well with me. But the problem is, if you've got two keepers at the top of their game in their mid-20s, you are forcing a situation on them where every save from the other goalkeeper is scrutinised. The whole narrative of the game is put through those two people, whether it's a mistake by Raya and they switch to Ramsdale on the bench and say, what does he think of that? Or let's get a reaction on him for that. Or whether, as, as happened yesterday, Raya makes an amazing save and they want to see a reaction from Ramsdale to show that he's supportive. That shouldn't be in question. I think Ramsdale, as you said, is one of the most supportive players in the whole team. And I'm sure Raya, not that we've got to know his character yet, would be the same. But to put them both under that spotlight in such a unique position as goalkeeper doesn't work for me. We've always talked about our desire to have competition for places across the whole team. The one place you won't succeed if there's genuine competition for a place is goalkeeper. And I can't, I can't give you one team that has ever succeeded with two players at the top of their game in that position and, and alternating or or insisting one is better than the other. It, it always works much better when you've got a player at the top of their game and someone that's either young, fresh and able to step in for massive matches. I'm going all the way back now, but think Meninga, someone like that. He didn't want to be in David Seaman's position he wanted to be his understudy to learn for him to build his career, then came in and played well with no pressure on Seaman, who was out injured. Um it, it can't work when you've got when you've got two at the top of their game. You you can have it the other way as well. You can have someone that's just at the end of their career and is very happy to step in for the odd match, and they have undoubted quality as well. Some big teams down the years have benefited from that. But it can't be that you have two like um Raya and Ramsdale. And if the intention was to to have one and, and for one to be the keeper, then maybe that wasn't run past Ramsdale in, in the preseason. And maybe it's gonna be to the detriment of the whole team if we if we knock that off kilter. Because for all his slightly erratic mistakes last season, Ramsdale, he was net positive to the team. There's no arguing that he wasn't net positive to the team. So uh, you, you take the mistakes. He's, it, there's plenty of times he's kept us in games. Plenty of times he's made saves of the quality of Reyes yesterday. And now you've thrown two very capable keepers into a situation that didn't need to be there. I agree. And I partic- uh, just going back to the Jamie Carragher comment, I, I just thought it was quite a, 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 you know, it's a quite a smart, clever pundit's comment. And it's not his fault that he's making a joke. And it was a joke as well. It's not his fault, you know, as you said, that that Arteta picked Raya and has, has gone through this whole situation with Aaron Ramsay. And of course his dad's going to say something because his dad, we saw, he saw his dad in the documentary. It's a natural reaction from a dad. But it's not it's not Carragher's fault that he's given the chance to make that joke. It's 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 the situation that's led to it. I often think fans get, com- without trying to sound too um, superior, but I think fans get confused when some, an, an incident occurs and pundits 
you react to it, like they blame the pundit rather than the incident. Well, it's the incident that's come first. And I think this was this was an example of that for me. And I do think, I do worry about Arteta. I mean, I know he's in this this particular situation, again, reeks of I want to be seen as a maverick. It's something that Pep did, you know. When you look at how much he is a product of Pep and inspired by Pep and influenced by Pep, which is to the good, brilliant. But even Pep has never do, done this, has he, Josh? And I do think it's kind of, I think it's slightly worrying about the man management of the thing. Am I going, I, I may be going too far. But what's interesting, one final comment before I bring you in, Josh, is even with all of the, all of the, I'm sounding slightly negative, even with that goalkeeper situation, with the goal scorer situation, you know, a lot of people are saying, let's bring in Ivan Tony or someone, you know, when, as soon as we can, because we haven't got natural goal scorers, even without, without um, injuries. It's ama- I was amazed that most pundits, when asked after the game yesterday, all the ones on Sky, all the ones on Five Live, as far as I'm aware, all said they still consider Arsenal to be Man City's main rival this season. Maybe with Liverpool, you know, alongside us, but they're all pretty firm that we're still in that position of challenging City. Which I, I, I mean, I hope they're right. But it's quite interesting, isn't it, considering all the all the flaws about that I'm pick- that I'm mentioning. Yeah, look, a couple of things here, right? And and just on the goalkeeping situation first. Yeah. Let's not forget, it's not so long since Ramsdale arrived at the club as a number two. And a few games into a season, it, it flipped and, and that was direction of travel. And Leno felt that he was too good to be a, a number two. And maybe understandably, he was also on the you know fringes and... You know, uh, not first choice for Germany, but sort of making international squads, and and he had to, he had to move on. Um, Ramsdale has been put in this, you know, incredibly difficult situation. I do think he will end up playing more than just Carabao Cup between now and the end of the season. I think he will get given uh, opportunities, and we might see something a little bit different um, to what we've done in the past, but. You worry for his mentality on go. It, I mean, it's it's pretty unprecedented. You've been made England number one, and at the weekend you've been dropped by your club. I I can't think of a situation where that has ever happened. So, you know what we know of Ramsdale, he's probably one of the most likable players at the club. Say him and Saka probably with the fan base, certainly helped by you know the documentary. Um, and always that he seems to be another one who fronts up to the media and and wants mm. to talk and comes across, you know, with some personality. And um, he's got to be so strong. This is one of the most difficult situations you can be in. But, you know, goalkeepers have got to be so, so strong mentally because of the nature of, of what they play. And I hope that he, um, he plays on Wednesday and he has a, you know, I hope he has a quiet game, but I hope he, you know, he does brilliantly because you just really fear about the impact this could have had, you know, on him as a on him as a character. The real um, test will be if he if he picks him for the league game on Saturday, won't it? Like that's for me that because he basically he's brought but he Raya won't in. Now, his, but, will he? But we all know Raya will now play in the league. Well, while, that, then right? we are saying Raya is number one, and that completely like I, yeah, I, I, I had think this we argument with yeah. I had this argument with Gareth last week on the podcast that I, I just didn't I never believed that they were you know rivaling each other in the way that Brighton are playing two goalkeepers at the moment. They are alternating genuinely, aren't they, between their two goalkeepers, which a lot of people mentioned as well as Gareth. But I just I but I would be proved wrong. If you know, if he played played him in the league game as well 
on Saturday after his inevitable Carabao Cup. But I don't think he will. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I don't think he will, but but, but who knows? Look, all it takes is, you know, a, a, a red card, an injury, and, and maybe the whole thing sort of flips, flips again. But for now, yeah, I think it'd be very difficult to interpret what's happened over the last two games as anything other than, you know, mm. a clear distinction between the two in the eyes of in the eyes of Mikel Arteta. So, um, yeah. What was the other point you made, Boyd? But uh, the, the general bigger point, which I want to ask Alan about, sorry, Alan's going to come in a sec, but which is that the pundits all still think we are the main contenders v Man City, even with all yeah, these just flaws and issues. Al, and, yeah. Yeah, just before Al comes in on that. Isn't that a credit to us? Yes. To the, to the team? Yes. Because we yeah. have not played that well this season in, 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 in many of the games. And yet here we are, we're unbeaten. One four drawn two, um, you know, not had not had the easiest set of things. You know, we've had to play Man United, um, we've had to we had to play Tottenham. You know, let's let's give ourselves some credit because you know we we have still got. I I agree the best chance to rival Man City. Now, sadly, it looks like again everyone will struggle to to rival with Man City. But yeah, tremendous credit to to Arsenal and the way we are. You know, we are seen. And look, we need Martinelli, Trossard, mm. party on, on the pitch if we're going to do it. Um, but yeah, Al, what were you going to say on the goalkeeping situation? I was just, just going to sort of sum it up really quickly just by following on your point. But uh, you said, you know, there might be a red card, there might be an injury, there might be something else. It's, it's just my problem with that is that it's always based around mistakes that, area of the pitch so the the incumbent needs to know that they are there and they've got no pressure during matches for those things like I mean red cards obviously is a suspension and, and it would lead to someone coming in but a, a mistake can be rectified if you go back in the next week and have a stormer and I just think if you've got two you'll be swapping them based on negative things rather than positive things and it just can't work but um, as for the title contention look I mean, anyone that's mad enough to try and, you know, set fire to everything and throw it in the bin and say that's as good as it gets from last season it is, is completely mad. But I also think you'd be completely mad to go the other way and say it's all fine. That there is a there is a balance point to be made in the middle, and that's that I think we improved our first choice eleven during the transfer window, but we didn't improve our depth. And if anything, we slightly weakened ourselves in terms of depth. I think the first choice 11 is on a par, if not better, than last season. That has unfortunately coincided with a number of injuries in sort of different positions around the pitch that if you try and rectify them like Arteta did yesterday, you make the team unbalanced, just playing players slightly out of position. He didn't have much choice, I must admit. But if you couple that with the fixtures that we've had, as Josh said, it's not the easiest start to the season. Um, it's not been the hardest either, though, I wouldn't say. Um, there were little warning signs. And, and one of the big warning signs is the fact that we keep conceding goals at home. Um, and the first game of the season against Nottingham Forest, we, our, um, our XG, even though we won that game 2-1, was, was under one. And it was also under one when we played at Everton as well, another poor team. 
And I think it's what Gary Neville was trying to get at with the chance creation and scoring goals from all round was great last season. But if we just get knocked off kilter a little bit with those forward positions, it seems to fall apart everywhere else. And, you know, no open play goals yesterday, albeit a great chance to get one. I just feel that if that continues, then we're just going to struggle to to edge games by the odd goal and get and get a few draws. But look, we're unbeaten. I think it's one one point less from the equivalent games last season if you replace the promoted and, and relegated teams. Um, there's plenty to build on. The result in midweek in the Champions League was fantastic. We were hardly tested. There's loads to be positive about. What's the current betting, Alan, on, on uh, our league, winning the league? Well, we've drifted out to to a much bigger price than we were at the start of the season. I, I thought that being sort of six to one second favourites with Liverpool there uh, uh, around seven to one was probably overstating both clubs' chances. I know Liverpool have had, um, you know, what you would deem a great start, especially after winning that game um, yesterday. So they've gone ahead of us in the betting and a few other teams have shortened up to take our percentage out. Uh, quite a bit more. So around 12 to 1 at the moment. It's nearly double the price we were at the start of the season. But a lot of that, a lot of that is factored on the on on the way that the the current champions and top of the table have gone six from six. So that's pushed our price out as much as the draws that we've had. Um one in an unlikely game, the home game against Fulham we're expected to win. But a North London derby draw, albeit at home, is not a disgraceful result. Um Incidentally, but for the amazing record that Arsene Wenger had in in fixtures against Tottenham in North London derbies, the last the last Arsenal manager to actually go three league games winning against Tottenham was George Graham back in uh, eighty seven eighty nine. He managed five on the trot. Um, Wenger for for the amazing record he had in North London derbies never actually put three together, three wins together on the trot, and. Um, you know, we had the chance to do that yesterday and for the first time since 89 and, and didn't. So it does show you that, that Derby games, the cliches, form goes out the window. But I just think Tottenham raised their game yesterday. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty, yeah, they played, I don't know about Ange ball, but they played like how a good team plays, didn't they? I mean, they were, yeah. they were dogged and they were, yeah, yeah, definitely. They didn't give up, et cetera, et cetera. Well, not, neither Josh nor I were at the uh, European game. We should mention briefly, I mean, that looked, as I was watching on my phone during this dinner, and it, I mean, it looked like, A, that their whole approach, PSV's, played into our hands massively because it was such an open game. And B, I mean, that lineup, maybe you'd think, you know, with Chossard, Jesus, and Saka up front, I mean, Declan, Odegaard, Havertz. I mean, Havertz is a question mark, obviously, ongoing. But and, and the first choice of so it was just a, a kind of borderline best team we could have picked, wasn't it? And they did really well. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, I think, you know, time will tell as to the quality of that Dutch league. I know Ajax fans were rioting yesterday. Everyone would expect yes. them to be up top. But um, the, the fact that they're not has maybe shown the, the lack of quality in, in that. Um, in that league at the moment. Uh, PSV, it didn't look like they'd scouted us at all. I think, as you say, Boyd, they they played right into our hands. But I, I would take nothing away from our performance. And if anything, Havertz has been criticised this season. and We've seen the stats and the criticism because if he's not throwing in assists and goals, people are pretty binary about whether or not that's good or bad. But I actually thought he had a really good game against PSV. He... he 
he filled a, a, a perfect pole where he was able to to not only hold up play but progress our play as well whenever he had the ball. And all four goals were brilliant. I don't think that there was one player that performed under a seven and a half out of ten um, across the whole pitch. And I, I just thought it was a, a, a top performance and a good return. And it was amazing that I wondered if it would happen, but when the Champions League music actually started, people were cheering almost like it was a goal. You know, it was so weird before the game. Yeah. That as soon as it got played, everyone started cheering and obviously getting their phones out and, and recording it. So it was good to be back. And it was the ideal game to be back because PSV did not test us once. And nine players, they did, you're right, and nine, nine of those players played again in the league game. So uh, uh, we did look knackered, I would say, to, in, in the middle of that second half. I guess it, yeah. it takes, get, yeah, takes some getting we've used got, to, doesn't it? We've got to get used to that. If, if yeah. you're in the Europa League, you you have that as a, as a minor fixture each week until you get to the latter stages. And he, even in the latter stages, we've, we've tended to rest players. Um, the travelling doesn't help because we used to, even take some of our more senior players away on those Europa League trips. But look, there is there is no substitute for actual game time. And if you're playing in, even in the kind of easy game that PSV gave us, um, it, it, it does tell, especially if you're going to be playing a team that, I mean, Tottenham could have a 40-game a, a, a season this season. If they get knocked out of the FA Cup in the, in the, in the third round, they'll play 40 games. They went out of the Carabao Cup at the first, um, at the first opportunity and you know 38 league games they're going to be focused they're going to be ready and it was probably the wrong time for that derby to land actually and and um yeah. you know speaking about the, the luck of the fixtures i don't think we've been that particularly lucky with that right we're running out of time josh is just as busy man is it having it looks like you're having a nice uh, cup of coffee there josh see lovely um Predictions, obviously. Brentford in the Carabao Cup on Wednesday, followed by Bournemouth on Saturday, rare three o'clock Saturday afternoon kickoff. Josh? Yeah, Bournemouth um, in the league is um, is one I'm going to be uh, not at again. Three games in a row I haven't been oh. at, which is probably a record, uh, a record for me, sadly. Um, look, the the Carabao Cup is is pretty low down on our priority, isn't it? But you you talked about Emil Smith Rowe earlier, um, and there must be a couple of the you know the guys in in the squad who just feel like they absolutely deserve you know a chance to to shine. I think we'll see Nelson, won't we? Smith Rowe, uh, Cedric's still at the club somewhere, isn't he? El Nenny. Yeah, he was on the bench. On, um, on, on, I I just wonder, will he play Kai Havertz? I just wonder if he's thinking mm. there is a game here that I would be desperate for Havertz to score a goal, have a good impact on a game. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's one of the sort of players that has been more involved in sort of Premier League minutes. Um, Ramsdale, we expect to play. I think he can play, even though it's his, his sort of parent club. Um, and... I don't know. I think uh, you know, winning winning breeds winning, and you know, even though we've got sort of Champions League games on the rise, and I, I hope we go out there and, and put a team uh, together that can win the game, but I don't think we will. I think we're going to exit the Carabao Cup um, away at mm-hmm. Brentford. Sadly, this week, I think we'll lose two one. Boyd, I'm afraid. Bournemouth, I um, yeah, it's it's really interesting because they're actually I thought, made a lot of good signings over over the summer. Um, 
and have sort of strength. And I, I don't think that's an easy game for Arsenal at the moment. However, um, I do think Arsenal will will prevail Saturday. I would say 2-1 to Arsenal Saturday. Alan? Uh, I, I think the Brentford game is interesting because I, I actually think Havertz will start. Josh, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with you there. I think it's, it's, it's a decent move if, if, he, if he starts. But no doubt we will shuffle the, shuffle the pack. We did last year against Brighton. We got um, handed a, a big defeat against Brighton at, at home last season in this competition. Arteta can't have it as a priority. I mean, if you think back last year, we we sort of almost sacrificed it and we didn't even have the Champions League. So this year with the Champions League, he's definitely going to make changes. He's definitely going to uh, ring the changes. The thing is, Brentford do as well. And if you look at the team that they put out at Newport in the round before, uh, where they just scraped through on penalties, incidentally did the same last year and got knocked out on penalties by Gillingham. I think looking at the lack of quality in their backup team, if they if they go with anything like a change first eleven, I genuinely believe we'll win this. And I think we'll win it quite comfortably. I think we'll win it four nil. So very rare that we have that level of disagreement on the predictions, mm. but I actually think we'll go and win this four nil quite comfortably. We've got players with stuff to prove. We've got second string players that will be itching to get game time. Uh, whereas Brentford don't see it as a priority. Bournemouth at the weekend, they they serve up lots of chances. I will be very disappointed if we don't score two, and I think that'll be enough to win, maybe 3-1. Okay. I think I'm, I'd go with Josh for the uh, Carabao Cup game. I think we might go out as well. So I'm going to say uh, a 1-0, tight 1-0 defeat. Yeah, look, I, I spotted what Alan had, you know, made a good point. They did make a lot of changes, but maybe that also mm. comes down to the opposition, right? Maybe they're thinking, you know, going to Newport, they can afford to. I just just wondered if they'll take a similar approach, given that it's Arsenal. They're at home in front of their fans. I just just wonder if they'll go stronger. So sort of mm. preempting that preempting that they yeah. will. Uh, if not, then uh, yeah, I'd be uh, be more in line with Alan, although not four nil. Uh, and Bournemouth, did you predict, Boyd? Uh, no, I'm going to predict a win as well. We have that. We have to win that game. So I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say two nil. I think in that one. Super. Um, yeah. Thanks so much, Josh, for uh, joining us live from the land of our fathers, Israel. Um, thank you very much, Alan, as ever. And from Barnet, <laughs> from Barnet, the land of our fathers as well. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, we'll be back next week. Cheers, bye. Cheers, guys. Cheers. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.